0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this CityWire podcast in association with Dynamic Planner. I'm Ian Horn, head of UK audience development for CityWire, and today I'm joined by Chris Jones from Dynamic Planner and Nick Ryan, financial planner at Yellow Bear Financial Consultancy. This is part one of a three-part series in which we're looking at cash flow planning, the accumulation in retirement, technology, and how advisors can demonstrate their value to clients. To get us started, our topic for podcast one is why stress testing in cash flow planning is fundamentally flawed. So, Nick, to get us started, is stress testing essentially style over substance?
1: I think that depends on the style and the substance. If it's the old style stress testing where things are chosen for no apparent reason or perhaps by, should we say, unqualified or less qualified people, then it definitely is. I've certainly seen in the past stress testing done where people have chosen... Uh, you know ten percent falls on this year or that year with no rhyme or reason to it mm-hmm. um, Their obviously intentions are good, but I think if it's done in that way, then potentially it is style of a substance and it's just ticking the box
0: mm-hmm. so so nick how how do you make sure that it's not that what what can you do to to make sure you're actually building in proper scenarios that yeah. have some kind of you know resemblance yeah. to real world events well
1: this this was a big problem until fairly recently. we looked at several different um modellers, cash flow forecasts, that kind of thing. And none of them really seemed to cover that problem. Uh I do my own due diligence, I do in conjunction with another firm, a friend of mine. And we both looked at it in a as mathematical way as we could and came to that conclusion that this was a real weakness. Um and it only really was a matter of time before the FCA would challenge that approach. A dynamic Planner came along with their modeler. I was already familiar with the uh with effectively uh, like Monte Carlo almost isn't it where you run thousands of models and you know you choose the the mean. Um, theirs is slightly more advanced than that obviously, but by factoring in all those different projections with all the different connotations that could be, we felt that gave at least the best average approach. So mm-hmm. it's factored in, you know, disasters like we had this year uh, or potentially amazing years this year. And, you know, you, you take the take the middle road of that.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and Chris, I guess this is where you come in here. So what have you done to make sure that, that stress testing, uh, you know, actually makes more sense and relates more properly to the client experience?
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting how sort of um words get um popular and used in in, in different situations. Of course stress testing really comes from uh Basel 2 and applies more to uh, institutions. Um in fact actually I think the uh, the regulator just email email that's the bank's really email there would you say um you know can you stress test to see if you can cope with negative interest rates for example It's that kind of stress test, testing where, where it comes from but it makes mm-hmm. sense it transposes into what you're supposed to do which of course is um, you know consider different market conditions and that's obviously the the cobbs rule that, that about uh, future projections is that you should consider um you know, good and bad market conditions and when you look at it from that perspective, then that's what we would uh, capture in far better in the Monte carlo um uh, simulation um and I think you know at the end of the day back in the day when you were doing cash flow on an excel spreadsheet or, or something similar and you only had a deterministic return, how would you show? A bad market, or or stress test for a bad market, um, and you'd have to just randomly say, well, what would happen if 2008 happened again, and and, and so forth. And you know, it's a little bit sort of uh, everyone's been looking for the next 2008, and who who who, who thought it was going to be a coronavirus? You know, it's never going to be the same the, 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 the same thing. But I think you know, you, there's a danger to being so arbitrary. There's a danger in picking the number. There's a, a danger in picking the timing. There's a bit danger in picking the example um mm-hmm. so i think from from our perspective you know we've, we once we realized we had the power to deliver such a, a powerful monte carlo simulated uh, 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 forecaster to the advisors through a uh, the technology then that that's what we um that they wanted to do and i think um hopefully it's it's um uh, it's going down well with the actual advisors but we're certain it meets the um the regulators' requirements
0: yeah, and 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 Chris, how do you kind of work out the outer parameters of a stress test? Because you know the scenario we've been in this year, you, you've had a pretty much decade-long bull run followed by a pandemic and financial response to that. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, just just how high and low can you go with these things?
2: Yeah, I suppose it's the. Um, uh, there's obviously uh, we 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 show a. Um, a fifth, a middle, and a 95th uh, percentile for those that are technical. And of course, you know, we can't show a, a hundredth uh, or a zero because it's almost, you know, anything. Um, but there's it, it, obviously a, a reasonable bounds of, of, of probability. So what, what we do, we run uh, uh, 6,000 um random paths bound by our correlation and covariances for um, each of the underlying assets, which basically gives you a, a range of possibilities. What is possibly the, the most unfortunate element to uh, what happens is, of course, if you do a median the a 5th and a 95th, it naturally straightens the line. So the boundaries are straight, the average is straight, but beneath there, it's every single bumpy possibility. So when we actually look, and we've got a few examples of sales agents and stuff, I think Nick might have seen them, where you can look at the, the bumpy lines that the Monte Carlo van projected, and you can see when well, it looks just like what, what happened. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, if we started to show those, it would be even more dangerous because people think, well, that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but all, all of the weird and wonderful market falls and rises and possibilities are captured within that within within that range. And I think the upside is actually more quite quite important. So when We've had a period where we've set our assumptions for a long time, and everyone thought they were undershooting. Um, So, you know, people can lose confidence in the tool if you don't acknowledge that sometimes there is a period of overperformance, but Mm -hmm. invariably it will tend to mean to to mean um, uh, uh, revert to mean. And of course, that's what happened in 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 March. So, actually, from the from the length of our uh, indices have been Mm -hmm. so 15 years, they actually. When they went down in March, they actually hit the the the, the plan over fifty years. It was you know we had a real good you know, long time. The real returns were were in the top half of the uh, range of outcomes, and you know we might imagine that that ain't going to be the case for the next couple of years. And mm-hmm. it's just important to get to capture both sides. Sure. Otherwise, the consumer just won't believe in your stress tests because you'll think, well, you know, things haven't gone badly for years. Therefore, what's the problem? And 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 yeah. and just to, to give the the tools for Nick to actually have that conversation. You know, Look, this it don't think this is always going to be the case. And be prepared for perhaps sometimes where it's not going to have it.
0: And and just to check that, you know, that ninety five percent bracket, the markets have responded, you know, to the pandemic. Is that still within that ninety five percent? Totally, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's fair, the 9.5 is very big, and, and yeah.
0: you, know, you shouldn't rely on the 9.5
2: as any kind of hope. I mean, you should be surprised if there's anywhere near that. And the reason mm-hmm. it's there is just to, 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 I mean, you do get um, you know, the man in the pub syndrome, you know. So I think there's a study out there, and uh, uh, Schroder's did, around asking the public what they'd expect. And the average Brit thought uh, 10% was a reasonable return, and the average person in the world thought 20%. You know, and you got somebody doing Bitcoin in the pub saying it's a big number. So you 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 need to have the parameter of what is possible to, to rein in that kind of craziness. But then also to make sense of the good times in the context of what they should expect in the long long, long term.
0: Mm-hmm. And Nick, to bring you back in here, um, you know, what, what are the dangers of relying upon stress testing? You know, as, as a financial planner, um, what pitfalls can you fall into here?
1: Well, I, I think that that question could be applied to almost anything that comes out of my mouth in a client meeting, you know, any, anything <laughs> I hang my hat on, I need to be able to back it up. Increasingly, the expectation is on us to have done a lot of due diligence on everything, uh, you know, our risk profile, uh, obviously the investments funds we use, that kind of thing. So we need to be as satisfied as we possibly can, which is never 100%, obviously, but as close as we possibly can, that the product we are buying and the people that have made the product are credible and that you know, what they've produced produces something which is realistic. Now, obviously, nobody should ever go into a meeting saying, this is what is going to happen. But as long as we know we're relying on something that is as credible as possible and as well put together as possible, and as long as we communicate that to the clients, actually, and you know, make it clear that this is still a projection, then I think that's reasonable. I think this links into a point we are making before about you know, whether we should put in our own random choices as to, you know, when a crash is going to come or that kind of thing, it would almost be better to just have a straight line than to put in poorly chosen uh points in time, because at least then the straight line is actually what would happen if nothing happened, you know, if, it, if we just had the five percent or whatever. Whereas, you know, what DP are doing is a very clever bit of software which runs so many different scenarios that we get that that little corridor in the middle that we can hang our hat on to some degree.
0: And, and Nick, how do how do clients typically respond to the stress testing? Is it is it something that offers a bit of reassurance mm. or, you know, people can be quite loss-averse too. Uh, do people actually instead worry about the worst that can happen? You know, how do people usually respond to this?
1: Well, I think I would link that to my experiences with clients over this crash because we've got, you know, some very low risk and some very high risk clients. And obviously, they all had different March and Aprils depending on the equity content of their funds. We only had one person out of 120 odd clients that was even slightly surprised at what happened. Um, and that one person only needed to, a quick chat and explanation, and they were fine. So I, I took that uh, partly, obviously, it was good that we'd obviously explained the situation well, but it, it showed that they'd understood that these are projections and are not absolutely set in stone, you know, that the straight line is not really a straight line. So yeah, I, I think it um i think it bore that out quite well
0: mm-hmm. and chris from your perspective you know what are the kind of risks of relying upon a stress test i mean you've mentioned it's quite a broad kind of you know boundary that you put on it but i suppose people are looking at that medium outcome are looking at the the middle of everything is there a danger that people put too much faith in it
2: um, I don't think so. I think obviously with, with everything we do, you know, what we, we provide some software and we, we rely on a high-quality CF30 to, to, to drive it. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, we, we can go so far, and it's the likes of Nick that can use the, um, the the tool to help the client to understand the risk reward trade-off. And it depends on the individual how you go about doing that. You know, and uh, I think it's a combination of factors. Um, I think obviously you've got the you know, the average um, median return is lower than what a lot of people imagine that they deserve. the The fifth is you know not very um, in, encouraging. And you know people will have fears that they've they've built up over time. And if with the actual uh, indices that we've got that show the historic, you can actually show what really did happen in two thousand and eight for a risk profile five risk profile uh, four. So they can understand the past and they can have a, an assessment of the future. And they can reconcile that more easily. They might have had, you know, a bad experience in the past, and they can see what the kind of portfolio Nick is recommending would have done when that happened, in actual fact, not in an imaginary way. And I think the other thing is, people sort of um, you know, tend to see the headlines of the markets falling. But you know, uh, I imagine with less than 20% of um, Nick's clients are all in uh, in UK equity, uh, all that kind of risk. They're all in sort of a diversified thing, and they'll be surprised at actually how a little um falls there were in in the bad market for them because they've had the conversation with Nick and they've chosen the right risk profile and they can see what would have happened and the projections appropriate and the worst case scenarios in there as well. Um, so it's all about managing expectations, but you know effectively you know we we, we can go you know, so far we need Nick to do that. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, to move the conversation along and, and Nick you've you've touched upon this Uh, And Chris, you've also mentioned uh, the need to kind of trust CF30s to make their own decisions here. Um, Nick, do you think planners should be deciding their own kind of growth and inflation assumptions, for instance, uh, for cash flow planning?
1: Well, um, no, is a simple answer. I mean, there's no reason why they can't if they want to. But once again, they are then hanging their hat on their own decisions. If I had a you know, doctorate in economics, then perhaps I'd feel more confident in predicting inflation or whatever in the future, but I don't, and therefore I wouldn't. So I think it's important that we all know where our expertise ends and begins. There, there are certain things that I would hand over responsibility for, mm-hmm. um, because I, I wouldn't want to justify it, or I couldn't justify that decision. So no, I don't think it would be very sensible to do that. And I think Mm -hmm. it it puts the IFA in an unnecessarily dangerous situation from a regulatory point of view. I don't think it gains the IFA anything. I can't imagine what it could possibly gain, Mm -hmm. and potentially, of course, costs a client, which is certainly in our case the the most important thing we're thinking about. Mm
0: -hmm. And and Chris, how how is Dynamic Planner kind of set up to to work around this problem? Because as as Nick points out, there's very few planners perhaps that are going to have the ability to. Create the right assumptions or make the right assumptions for a cash flow plan. So, so how do you kind of get, get across that problem?
2: Yeah, I think I've, I've said before what we try, what I think works is using um, insourcing and outsourcing technology and support um, and the, the advising in the right way. So, you know, Nick's on the ground. He's the one talking to the human. He can manage the client and, and deal with, with, with their emotions and what he thinks is going, go, going to work. You know, but uh, he, you know, he, sh- he shouldn't be, therefore, picking the assumptions because even if he did know what he was doing, the, the person on the ground might accidentally influence him to put a little bit more in or, you know, and, and that, that that forced objectivity is really important. So for donate Planner, we, we don't allow you to put in your own assumptions. Um, we have... We only allow you to project on our risk profiles which are the um uh indices and a specific regulation that, that exempts you from some of the additional deterministic uh illustrations to go alongside if you project an index and that's and the reason for that is because you've got the past forms of index to compare it to and it's objective you know and um you know, so we, we don't allow people to put 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 their own um uh, returns in and i think it, it's different between sort of here and now isn't it so I mean, it's clearly sort of very well uh, um, uh, disciplined and things, but other advisors might feel the pressure to, to, to make a client happy, perhaps do a DB transfer, put in a, a, a past performance number or a number that's not um, uh, objective or come from um, um, proper research and just to win the client on that particular day. And all that's going to happen, he's going to have a really bad conversation in a, in a couple of years' time. So all he's done is kick these problems down the road uh, for short-term benefit and, and, and long-term good pain um Mm -hmm. so it's smart from a regulatory perspective it's smart from a client management perspective and you know look how chill that nick is he's not um he's not stressed out at all because he knows he hasn't got to worry about this kind of stuff Mm
1: -hmm. that's that's exactly it i couldn't have put it better yeah i mean it's it's about responsibility laying with the person that has the knowledge or or is best placed anyway and there's certain things that we're just not just like i wouldn't try and write my own trust document or will for a client I'd wheel a solicitor in. I wouldn't be trying to do something like this. And, and again, your point about kicking that can down the road, that's, you know, we, we we definitely do not want to build a business that is full of problems waiting to happen. That would be very daft just to take on that one client. As you say, they want to see a certain percentage. Well, they need to see the reality rather than, um, you know, which could be better, obviously. <laughs> but we don't want to be making up numbers, no.
0: Okay. And another thing to look at here now is, the, the straight line forecasting, you know, the linear forecasting you sometimes see in cash flow planning, uh, which you know it tell, tells a client and an advisor if a plan's going to work or not in fairly binary terms, that seems possibly outdated. Do you think it has any place in financial planning today, Nick?
1: It's a tricky one. Um, when I read that question, it did make me smile a bit because, of course, the FCA insists that illustrations for pensions and that kind of thing are produced with Certain growth figures assumed by the fund manager, which essentially are a straight line forecast, but no, I don't think it would be very sensible at all. I mean, we all talk about things in general terms with clients, and anyone that says they don't, I think, is probably not listening to their own meetings. But for actual advice, um, a straight line forecast this year would have been blown out of the water, certainly up mm-hmm. to the middle of this year, anyway. And there'd have been some very, very upset clients ringing up, wondering where their six percent is.
0: Mm-hmm. And and. A client's realistic with these conversations because obviously with a, a straight line graph, you can probably show them this will work or this will not work. Yeah. Which as much as it might be insufficient in a regulatory sense or even in a kind of proper planning sense, it does at least give people a straight answer. So do people respond well to being told like there's a you know a 50% chance this will work or a 70% chance?
1: I think they do it probably to a degree comes down to how it's positioned with them i mean we have to bear in mind that the vast majority of clients really don't know anything about this and it's our job to turn a complicated subject into something quite straightforward and easily to understand and that's in our interest as well as theirs obviously so we're not storing up problems for later but i think generally they do yeah yeah i mean they and and i think it also it heads off bad years or, or other awkward conversations in bad years like we had certainly at the start of this year anyway, I suspect had we not done that, we would have had a lot of very upset people calling in March and April, whereas as it was, we didn't. And that, that, that can only be down to the fact that they were. it was explained how these things work, what probabilities mean. And, and I suppose also, we don't want to take on clients that don't want what we can give them um that doesn't help anybody least of all them so you know if a client wants a a five percent per year growth regardless of what's going on in the world then that's i don't have that magic wand unfortunately um so they're probably not going to be able to use us um it's far better that they're prepared for the realize the realism of what's coming and then they can perhaps not enjoy the ride but they can accept the ride Mm
0: -hmm. and chris let's get your take now on kind of straight line forecasting i i assume you think it's Probably a thing of the past, but can, can you talk me through your thinking on it and and what you think advisors should be doing in this yeah, day and age?
2: Yeah, I, I think the, um, the the challenge is, ideally, people want that. You know, people do want the straight line, and 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 that isn't um, is impossible. We're not going to get it, and um the uh, and therefore the interaction between people's actual behaviour and the behaviour of the market just isn't captured by 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 a straight line. This is quite important when people look at. Know, paying money in or taking money out or you know some of the choices that you can make as to whether I'm, you know perhaps if i'm in accumulation i take out a lump sum for, for the beginning of the year and spend it or each month you know and and that, that is different um and, and and uh so if you applied that to a straight line it wouldn't look different and, and i i think the uh the the interaction between complicated humans and complicated markets is 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 well captured in a, um, you know, daily time step, uh, complicated Monte Carlo simulation, which mm. itself sounds very complicated, but the good news is when, uh, Nick gets to use it, it looked like a reasonably straightforward picture or, or, or line of numbers with um, which you can you know, change at a t- touch of a button. So I, I think it is, you know, the, the, people would love a straight line. You know, people would love to go back to the days when you get 10% in Halifax and or, uh, the build site is also available. Um, mm. and, um. You know, but it's not the case anymore, and and mm-hmm. therefore we have to deal with reality, not with what people would love to have.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, how how is a stochastic forecast then, with you know, which runs six thousand times, like the dynamic planner one does, like the net cash flow? How how is that better, Chris? And you know, and, and how does that assist the financial planner?
2: Yeah, so in, in a particular point, is, is what we don't do is run. Once and decide what the most likely straight line is, and then apply the straight line to the person. So what what we do, we 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 uh, so Nick will create the the client's plan, as in the, his intentions, um, and and then in the background we'll run six thousand versions of what would happen if he took. Uh, a level of risk and he did that whatever that that is uh you know it's a complicated person right so then we just look at all the possible outcomes for 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 for, for that so it's much more uh, uh more more accurate and and um uh and again you, you can do that at a uh, a touch of a button but it also it just sets out the, the realms of possibility and i think um hope is is, uh, is, is one of the most dangerous things, isn't it? So without that information, a consumer could hope that yeah, everything will be all right and his investments will suddenly be amazing and he, and he can retire without paying enough in. Um, and, and you need to manage that hope and have a proper conversation. And look, actually, if, you're, if this is what you want to do, someone's got to have to give. Um, and some of the choices that people make can be quite precise. And that precision should be um, you know, should be captured. Whether it's paying more money in regularly, whether it's moving a timeline, whether it's you know accepting you're going to have less when you're older, if it's taking more risk, if it's investing in a different way, all that should be captured when those there's, there's choices are put in front of the client. But it doesn't really work in a straight line because you just get the same sort of answer regardless.
0: Mm-hmm. And and Nick, how, how does this make your life easier?
1: Well, it introduces some realism. Um, I was I was just thinking then I, in, certainly in my mind I've been talking I've been thinking about the straight line you know going up but probably where this really comes into its own is the more much more dangerous situation of decumulation. um And you know if I've got a client retiring 65, 70 whatever um, very few of them will be able to take so little from the portfolio that they can maintain the capital value. So, we really do then need to be saying, well, you know, we know rough life expectancy. We're going to add how many years to that as a buffer. How long is this money going to last? And therefore, I like to be able to say to them, well, you know, worst case scenario, realistic worst case scenario, we're still probably okay. Or actually, best case scenario, we're definitely not okay. We need to take some actions. Um, Not growing the money by enough is bad, but running out of money early is. what would be considerably worse if that happened. So we need to be prepared for that at the outset. Um, and I've certainly, I've used it quite a lot the last few months, particularly, and mm-hmm. had just those conversations. And in actual fact, in those particular situations, it was it was all looking pretty good, but I'd much rather catch a problem now. And this sort of, you know, running it 6,000 times and that kind of thing, and, and the spread of, like the, uh, like the spread of mm-hmm. chance, I suppose you call it, um, Particularly in decumulation, I think gives a lot more confidence as to what we could expect and what we should worry about realistically, and what we should hope for. Um, that's that's when I get most concerned when I'm taking money out for a client.
0: Mm-hmm. And, this- uh, and, and Nick, do you, have clients? You know, the ones you you've shown this to. Have they responded positively to this? Because yeah. it might suggest to them that they need to spend less money than they would like to. Mm. But do you think it's pretty effective at getting the message across? you know, that they're playing a dangerous game if they do that?
1: I think it is. Um, I mean, obviously the the downside to that is that they they only ever see this one because I'm not going to show them an inferior one, obviously. But um, they they do. And, and I think it's, again, because it depends on how it's positioned. I, w- I would position it very clearly that, you know, this is, we need to see the chance of A, B or C happening. And if, mm-hmm. if we're hoping B is going to happen, that's great. But we mu- we need to know what the worst case scenario is. So perhaps it's because it's this year in particular. And of course, I've only had this to use this year. But um, generally, people have liked the fact that it it gives them that kind of range of outcomes. Um, And in a a, a graphical, nice, easy to see way. Because again, you know, most people, the reason I have a job is that most people don't understand this stuff. Um, We need to turn it in a way that they can understand. Looking at numbers on a table doesn't really help. Mm-hmm. Not for most people they they don't really like looking at it that way but the, the graphical representations is a nice clear way of doing it and of course you know we can if we were on a, a call or whatever we can actually change things real time and show different scenarios different risk levels mm-hmm. different levels of withdrawal that kind of thing which is also important
0: mm-hmm. and, and chris what do you think the next step is from here because uh it could be something as simple as how we display this to clients as Nick was suggesting there because I asked the question because you're already running something like 6,000 different simulations. So how how do you improve the accuracy? Do you run even more simulations or is there... Is there any other better way yeah. to do things?
2: <laughs> we can, though. I mean, it's one of those things that's a bit like an efficient frontier for investments is that um, you get to about 6,000 and, and the accuracy doesn't improve. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, Monte Carlo is a great subject to, to, to talk about, but effectively, you know, random sampling gets to a point where you know what the whole looks like, and 6,000 6, is, is is that um, that level. Um, but I think that the developments, you know, uh, we are um, we're working now, uh, on the uh, chassis of the, the Monte Carlo simulator to, to make the usage and, and user experience a lot easier for the for the likes of Nick, and his contribution is um, is, is obviously uh, alongside others going to going to, um, to 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 frame that. I think the um, uh, the other bit about the stress test, of course, as we have covered is is you know the Monte Carlo and the, the capital market assumptions cover you know the stress the market stress is very very well but you also get um real world human um uh, stress testing as 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 well so you know if you uh you know, to 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 run a perfectly good plan for you in and then um you say, well, Okay. Well, you know, what don't need to think about. Well, okay. Well, let's see what would happen if you didn't get your annual bonus. Let's see what happened if your your salary file, your wife lost a job. Well, let's see what happened. And and you can just toggle toggle that through and 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 just you know, do all the human stress, fantastic and, and contingency, um, uh, really easy. Um, you know, and things like that where um, you know uh, someone that's good with the software um can drive it what we might do is you know keep improving it so it's easier and easier to use to do some of those things auto- automatically to make them um, uh the next life easier on others um but that, that's where it goes it goes into you know in continually improving the ux and, and and making life easier and making things um uh clearer for the end consumer
0: So it's it's ultimately a a case of taking that kind of mathematical modelling and then applying it to the individual life of the person. I I mean, I I guess you can't predict what's going to happen to a person as accurately as you can the markets. Um, But um, you know, Nick, just to ask one last question: what what, is there anything you would like to see from you know stress testing and cash flow planning that doesn't currently exist, Um, or or do you think we've kind of reached the limits of what it can do?
1: That's a good question um I, the only thing I can think of that that could be interesting to build into it would be um building in a gradual change of risk profiling over the lifetime mm-hmm. um so uh I suppose like you know lifestyle investments or pensions will be a good example where their risk will naturally drop um if we, uh, if we if we you know did a forecast now we'd be basing it on the fund choice now um, whereas often, What we will say to clients is, you're probably going to come to me in ten years and want to reduce your risk, and then twenty years reduce it further. Um, Very obviously impossible to to factor in at the beginning, but a likely outcome. So that's it's. I wouldn't say necessarily a weakness, but it's something that could be added in at some point to say, well, you know, we'll we'll use the same range of funds, even, but we'll just knock it down a notch every ten years or something.
0: yeah, yeah. and, 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 and Nick. <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea, isn't it? And Chris, is there anything just, you've, you've indep- you know, independently thought of um, oh, you know, well, that, that might be good to add in?
2: Oh, yeah, my, my um, uh, we've got a whole software team who who spend a lot of time reigning in my imagination. So, uh, <laughs> uh, what I what I'd like to have happen, what actually happens, is 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 constrained by you know, time and resource and, 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 and common sense. Um, so there's lot, lots of that. But what I was going to say, your, your point about you can't predict. For if you, if you've got bad news for you, and you do become your dad, um, and, and that's one of the cool things about, about financial planning. Is, is you know, getting a young person to realise that, that that that's what happens is just you know the experience of seeing all people of different age groups and applying that to to somebody so they can realise you know what they what the future holds is is is, is a great thing. So.
0: Well, I look forward to doing this in 10 years time when I'm mostly bold then, but thanks Thanks for that. Look, I think that is unfortunately all we've got time for, but Nick, Chris, thank you both for joining me Uh, and for everyone listening, thank you for tuning in and do join us for episode two. Goodbye for now.